All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Natureversity Podcast. Uh, today, we are still here at Sky Earth, but I have the distinguished and honored guest once again of having Tony Pike, the Tony Pike, on from Ancient Wisdom Survival Skill. Tony, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. Good. And thanks so much for doing this. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I, I, I just want to have as many survival instructors out there on this podcast so that they can tell their story because I think so many people go to survival schools and they really want to know who is this person, who am I taking classes from, are they the real deal, and Tony, I can say with all you know authenticity that you are the real deal. I appreciate that, Chris. Whether it's like bow building, arrows, and then applying that to actually you know primitive hunting, uh, you've gone from absolutely nothing to meet on the table. And there's not a lot of survival schools that can legitimately say that. So for people to not ever show up at one of Tony Pike's classes, y'all, you're missing out in an amazing way because Tony is not only doing things, I'm totally stealing his thunder here. I just got a rant about how awesome these classes are. He's doing things that are beyond come take a class, give me money, go home. He's saying, hey, let's pack up this canoe. Let's take a little limited gear. Let's, you know, go down this river, let's find camp where we can make camp, let's make, and this is like real survival, like this is the way I thought when I was going to survival schools that it was going to be, and then I showed up and it's like this big canvas tarp and we just learned skills for a week underneath the canvas tarp, but Tony's doing it for real, so I'm going to start shut up and let y'all hear about what his story is, because I just want y'all to know this, he's he's the real deal, so Tony, tell us, tell us who you are. Well, Unfortunately, with that introduction, Chris, if somebody <laughs> comes to one of my classes under a tarp, they're going to be disappointed no. expecting me to be in a canoe. Just set the standard. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. What was the question again? Where do we Tell start? Tell us how you got started in all this, man. Where, where were you? Where'd you grow up? Where were you born? You know, somebody asked me that the other day. How did I get started in survival? Well, being born into that type of a, a family, not saying that my parents lived solely off the grid. But we, we very much had a self-reliant type of a, a lifestyle. You know, we had a little garden. And uh, growing up, I was raised in Missouri, uh, southwest Missouri, on the edge of the Ozarks. <clears throat> there's not a lot of money in that area, but there's a lot of fish and game and uh, a lot of wild edibles. So as a child, uh, you know, I was just naturally collecting and doing these things. Uh, I've, I told somebody yesterday... Uh, when they asked the same question, well, I caught my first fish when I was two years old. There you, you go. Know, at six years old, I was hunting with a rifle and I shot my first squirrel and my first rabbit with a single shot, 22 at six years old. Yeah. By the time I was eight, nine years old, I was shooting dove, you know, quail, things out of the air with a shotgun. Uh, I was already becoming a pretty good shot with a gun at, you know, 10, 12 years old. But it wasn't just about killing. It was about eating. Eating. Yeah. yeah. What did your dad do? Uh, he did some roofing. Roofing. Uh, my mother worked at a plastic uh, factory, 3M, in Nevada. Uh, that was a, a big blessing to the family because prior to that, she had worked as um, she had worked uh, sewing up work clothes at Key Work Clothes and um, another place called Nelly Don's. Neither one of those jobs paid that great, and there wasn't a lot of good jobs in the area. So it was a lot of the people in the area kind of lived like we did. We we spent a lot of time hunting and fishing and picking mushrooms and just living close to nature. Yeah. God, it's so great, man. And, and just how many kids out there want that or don't even know that they want it but aren't exposed to that any longer. And so growing up, uh, you got through school. You went to public education. Were you homeschooled? No, public ex- ex- execution. Public ex- education. education. That, that <laughs> might be a more fitting term for today's <laughs> what That's we have. Next chapter. Oh. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, yeah, public school. I went to college. Um, I'd like to back up a little bit. 
prior to that. Cause yeah, a, go lot, for it, a lot man. of that phase of my life didn't really mold me to who I am today. You know, yeah. like, um, there was, there were several years where I stepped away from this natural path that I'm kind of on today. Um, so I found my first arrowhead. Dad was an arrowhead hunter, a big out time, you know, big time outdoorsman. And in the area that we lived in, the Osage Indians were thick and uh, a lot of artifacts were laying around. So they were pretty common to find. And I remember dad, we went fishing or swimming at the river or something like that. And my dad picked up this really beautiful arrowhead. I was, I was so amazed at how the craftsmanship and I just couldn't wrap my head around how, how something so beautiful could be made out of a rock. And, and it just blew my mind. How'd these Indians or how'd these primitive people uh, do this? And then that led me into this train of thought, well, you know, they were not only just chipping rocks and hunting, and but how'd they build their bow? How'd they tan their hides? How'd they make their clothes? How'd they make their teepee? What plants were they eating? And, um, but primarily my big interest, and this was and still true, uh, amateur archaeology. I wanted to know more about the rocks and examine them and uh, maybe even reverse engineer, use them, or make something, you know, I would go out and I'd find artifacts and then I would replicate them. And, and think, okay, well, it looks like it was maybe tied on this way or that way. So I would, you know, it looks like a hide scraper. So I'd get a deer hide and I'd take this rock and I'd try, you know, trial and error. There wasn't a lot of good resources for me to, to find out this information in those days. Uh, the internet wasn't big yet. So I learned the hard way on a lot of the stuff. Did you have all those Larry Dean Olson books and all no, that? No, I didn't get a Larry Dean Olson book until just a few years ago. What? I mean, Are you kidding me? Most everything I've learned is from old timers who I finally was able to uh, get near and glean that information from them, pick their brain, or literally through trial and error over the years. Wow. Wait, so how old were you when you first like knew, okay, I'm going to dive deep into these survival skills? That's, that's a, I don't know. That's a hard question to ask because I was, I was literally, I was probably five years old and I'd made my own loincloth and bow and arrow and was running around Compton Junction (laughs) trying to hunt rabbits to feed my family. Yeah. So when did you take your very first survival school, like class? Like who was that with? Where'd you go? Gosh. Um, the closest thing to that, I'd say that the first public exposure to primitive skills or like-minded people, uh, a good friend of mine in my hometown, older gentleman who was, I believe he was full-blooded uh, Cherokee. Um, I had found out that he could flint nap, and I asked him to uh, to show me some things. Well, he did, and we became friends because we have that common interest and some others. And he took me to Fort Osage up by Kansas City, which is a nap-in at the old fort, replicated fort. And it was at that point where I got around some of the greats in flint napping, um, DC Waldorf and Larry, uh, or Jim Redfern and several of the, the greats in flint napping come from literally in my backyard in wow. Missouri. <clears throat> and, uh, then I, I was introduced to the lifestyle that people were still kind of using primitive skills somehow and, and using it to supplement their income or even working in that field. So that's kind of when the dream was really kindled that, Hey, I really can do this. Cause growing up the whole time I, you know, I told everybody in my family, I'm going to live like an Indian when I get older, I'm just going to go out and live in the woods. And, and everybody said, you can't do that. You can't live like an Indian. I was like, Oh yeah. Well just watch. Yeah. You know? Well, you know, so when I got older and went to college and I started learning about reality, uh, I thought, well, yeah, I can't do that stuff. So I, I got drawn into the rat race and, uh, did various, I was, I was fairly successful at a few different, um, professions, but that calling to, to, to the nature skills, the primitive skills and survival, 
kept calling me back and that became my, you know, it's never not been a passion of mine. You know, some nights where I had to, I had several management positions over, over the years. I may stay up till four o'clock in the morning when the internet did come out researching how to brain tan or how to throw, how to make a better atlatl or, or whatever. Um, get a few hours of sleep and go to work and, and I, I tried to find as many fulfilling jobs as I could where I felt like I was doing something for others and giving back to society, but I just never, the hole never was totally filled. I never could find that, that spot where everything was in balance. So um, moving forward, the first primitive skills gathering that I went to, which would be the closest thing for me going to a survival school, uh, Bo Brown runs a First Earth Survival School. He runs an event called Bodark. Um, pretty close to Springfield, Missouri. I went to that, and that that was pretty cool because... What uh, year was that? Mm, oh, my gosh. It was in the 90s. Probably late 90s or early yeah. 2000s. Somewhere. I remember seeing ads for the Bulletin Improvement Technology. I remember seeing ads for that event back in the 90s, anyway. Yeah, so that was actually probably my first contact with a, a real survival school <laughs> instructor. Yeah. Um, and what was that like? What was what was the event like? What did you do? Uh, I tell you, the, my most memorable event um, there, it was neat to see all the different things and to be able to pick the brains of the people. But the thing that stood with me the most out of that, um, I heard Bo Brown talking to a group of people. And he told, this, he told this story, and I still tell it today to my, to my groups of people because it totally, I had an epiphany, a change of, uh, a shift in my paradigm, changed my perspective. Uh, so he was talking about, this lady had called him on the phone and she was going to drive to town. This is one of my life's biggest lessons. Um, drive to town to get a salad. And, and Bo said, uh, he said, I was sitting there thinking about this, picturing her walking out her door, stepping across and over perfectly good wild edibles that are, he knew were growing in her yard because he'd been there. Uh, perfectly fine salad to go get into a Toyota vehicle built in Japan with parts from South America and from who knows, shipped all over to, to get this car shipped to, you know, they had to ship it on a boat, which is also a huge, you know, production of human energy and resources, natural resources, with fuel that was shipped in a, in a tanker from Saudi Arabia, so that she could drive the five miles to town to get the salad. And he thought, how many human hours went into all of that spinoff wasted energy when she could just go outside and cut these leaves? You know, she could make yeah. a salad dressing and have this salad. Not but, to even but, mention how the salad got there. Well, yeah, right. When she gets right. to the store, she gets a watered-down version of the wild salad that she right. should have been eating that's right. full of medicine and nutrients, um, which was picked by migrant labor in California a few days earlier, shipped over here with a exactly. semi-truck. So in both, yeah, both sides of the coin, you, you're... But yet, she, you know, are you, are you implying that she probably feels like she's doing a, you know, noble thing by going to Central Market or Whole Foods and getting this salad and, um, you know. She's trying to do her best, as we all are, right? Right. But people are just, um, they're ignorant to the the abundance of natural resources that are around us. So that's kind of my main passion is it's uh, to teach people these things that we have. We have a lot of the things that we need right around us from medicine to food to, you know, to clothing. Yeah. You name it. It is. It, it's weird. And then you know, ironically, I don't know, people, they want to do, you know, sustainable things, but then it's just like what you just said, like they don't, they don't think about the the real impact of what's happening and 
they're just not taught. Well, right? and that's I I don't have anything negative to say about them other than, you know, if they're brought to the understanding that hey, there's a better way, and then they actively choose to live the other way, then maybe we can condemn them in some way. But until we try to educate them and you know say hey, you know this isn't that sustainable, and you're very you're you're overlooking a great resource right in your front yard, but I would love to educate you. But I, you know, I think what it is, is it's convenience, man. Mm -hmm. I think people are just addicted to convenience. And you know, I've been, there's like uh, this book, what is it called? I think it's called Atomic Habits. But in the book, he talks about how we get these little, you know, I don't know if it's like dopamine hits or whatever kind of hits it is when you have these things. So for instance, people who work in construction, let's say, and they get up every day and their routine is to go stop at a convenience store, get their little coffee, go to the thing. Like if they don't have that stop at the convenience store with that coffee, like it's, it's a thing, you know? And so I think convenience of going out to your front yard, figuring out what these plants are, figuring out how to turn them into a edible food that you then like and want to continuously enjoy. It's so daunting, I think that in and of itself is what prevents everybody from doing it is it's such a painstakingly, you know, uh, laborious endeavor. So when the people go down that path, that dopamine hit that you were talking about, I think is, is larger than the one that they get. Oh, from stopping Tony again. Pike, touche. Uh, right. Tr that's truth, brother. You're absolutely right. And they, they, you know, they discover the passion and that's, what's really great about uh, the primitive skills community and the survival community you're is right. that they're passionate adventurous people and i think a lot of that's lost on society because we're you know we're taught that we got to smoke the marbles or we're not a man yeah. or whatever and we're just fed so much stuff that's not imagine that, that, that is toxic to us exactly if you imagine if you could give somebody what that feeling is of eating something that they got the seeds for from a previous plant let's say or a previous harvest put it in the ground cultivated it grew it to fruition and then ate it, right? Or the same things that you've done, which is make a bow from a tree that you've harvested, seasoned, dried, shaped. You know, these are like these benign, loving, peaceful beings trees are. And now you've turned it into this instrument of, I don't want to say death, but I would rather say like sustenance giving. You know, this tree is now longer, no longer a benign thing. It can do lethal things. And so there's some kind of transformational feeling that I think you're describing in all of this that I wish we could extract what that feels like out and give it to people in like a pill. <laughs> That'd be but, great. But, but, but would they get the same benefit of going through and like we did harvesting a tree and you know, my dad cut this tree down from the side of his yard so he could put up a fence and I split it out. It's a big hackberry tree and I got a bunch of staves out of it. And now they're bows and I know what that feels like. And it's, it's a great feeling. So yeah. So you clearly got that bug is what I call it. You got getting the bug and you went to this boat arc adventurous um, gathering where you saw how disingenuous the world actually was. Exactly. Right? And so from there, what did you start doing? Were, how, and again, how old were you? Do you remember? Oh, gosh. I was probably in my, maybe my mid-20s around yeah, there. That's about how old I was when I got into all this, too, like hardcore. And so first gathering. And what did you do from there? Did you come home and you're like, all right, clear everything off the table, blueprint on the wall. How am I going to make this life where I can do these skills and go to these gatherings? 
Well, to a certain extent, I, I pretty well already had the blueprint on the wall. And I, at some point I was already, you know, on fire for passion, you know, passionate for yeah. skills. I, I always have been ate up with it other than for just a few years when, you know, in college where, you know, I was going to go off and be an attorney and, you know, be super, super wealthy in the, in the plastic society of Babylon. But, um, I don't know. I just kept getting called back to the nature skills. And that, that's when it, it was kind of an eye opener there that I had been, even though I had a pretty well-rounded skill set, I found that there's really a whole lot more that I didn't know. There's a lot more, actually a lot more that I didn't know than what I did know. Sure. And I kind of had to humble myself. And then I, I just set myself on a mission to, to fill in all the, the weak spots and uh, trying to glean information I could from every plant expert or just, you know, anybody that could teach me something that I didn't know about. Um, fast forward a few years, I'm sitting there watching TV and there's a, there's a guy, I'm not going to say who he is cause I respect him and, and there's nothing wrong with what he did. I don't want to paint this the wrong light, but he was, he was trying something and I was sitting there in the living room with some of my family members and they went to commercial break. I said, that's not going to work. There's no way that's going to work. I know it's not going to work. I've done that, you know? I've experimented, tried that, didn't work. It's like a Discovery Channel TV show. Yeah, right. Big time. Big time. <laughs> this guy's big time on TV. He comes back from commercial break and he does the thing and it don't work. I look at the family members like, hey, you know, like I told you so. And then, then I was like, hey, wait a minute. Why am I sitting on a couch here in Missouri and there's some guy on TV that's, you know, he's supposed to be one of the best right now that, and he is. But he, you know, and granted, not everybody can know every skill, right? Right. So I've given him a lot of, a lot of space and grace there. So, um, I thought, well, maybe I ought to, maybe I ought to uh, get in a place where I can showcase my skills and see what how that how that reflects off of people and what, you know, how good am I? So I I started uh, teaching a few small classes around around my area, um, but I never really my school never really went big as far as like I am today until I went to winter count. Right after I had suffered a lot of loss in my in my family, and I went to winter count, and I found you know six hundred people who were just like me, which it was amazing to be around so many people. Where normally the primitive skills and nature people are kind of feel like a little bit like an outcast or a misfit in society, but then to go to a group of you know kind of like what Sky Earth is, just totally wholesome and genuine people who aren't suffering from the sins of society, greed, and some of those things, nearly as much as some of the others of our, our brothers. But um, anyway, yeah, they just welcomed me in and made me, gave me a new family and um, opened so many doors in my life that um, it was at that point where I, was, I decided, all right, I'm all in. This is my mission. I'm going to eat, drink, sleep, breathe, survival from here on out. So, yeah, yeah the last 10 years have been a, just a whirlwind of, crazy adventures and meeting great people and, and, and consuming all of the, uh, information that I can about every, every topic that I can so that I can share it with my students and, and to, to serve them as best I can. Yeah. Is that how long ancient wisdom has been open? 10 years? Officially under that name. Um, I think 2000. Yeah. About, about that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome, man. That's quite a legacy you got going. And it's still like, I think um, maybe others are, there are a lot of survival schools out there who do this adventurous type things. I know that there's one like down in South America or Central America called uh, Randall's Adventure Training. 
But I don't think I've ever seen another survival school take people to Hawaii and stuff like that. And I know Ancient Wisdom does that. And I was just like, wait, y'all haven't gone once. Y'all have gone twice, maybe even more. And so if you're out there and you're listening to this and you really do want uh, a professional who has been on these TV shows and does do this stuff all day long and has for the last 25, 35, maybe even 40 plus years. That's enough. Don't tell them how old I am. <laughs> I don't know. Then, uh, well, you know, with obviously age comes experience and wisdom. So, yeah, then I definitely recommend some of these adventures that Tony's uh, putting out, man, because it's, it's, I'm jealous. I'm like, wish I could, I, I could go all the time. So you got through, you, you started this survival school and eventually you found yourself on the bushcraft build off series. How did all that happen? What was leading? What led up to that? You know, I went through a, a period of my life, um, where I had like, a um, uh, a breakthrough period, I guess you could say I had gone through a rough period and then coming out of the storm, I was blessed with all kinds of sunshine. And I literally, nearly everything that I prayed for or meditated on, what do they call it, where you bring the thing into your reality, I went through a phase of about four or five years where almost everything that I prayed for came to me mm. and, and very quickly. It, it, was, uh, it was humbling and it, it gave my life a lot of meaning and purpose and passion that I, you know, that we're not, we're not just here by happenstance. I feel like everything happens for a reason and, and I have a mission to do. I have people to serve. So um, when I started living that way and thinking that way, it's almost like I would get to like these almost psychic premonitions. Like I'm going to go do a TV show. I'm mm. going to do it. I'm going to do it in Utah. It's going to be next year. Um, yeah. And then I get all these phone calls you know, to, to go help out on this, on bushcraft build off. They wanted me to come and work as a consultant, as a survival consultant. And then they, they, then I was, uh, somebody else hit me up for something. Then another one, um, hit me up to be, uh, one of the lead characters. And I was in casting for, to be the, the lead character on, on the next episode after the episode that I was actually on while I was in Florida teaching at a gathering. Um, they were, they were trying to get me out there, but they didn't know who they were going to pair me against. Well, it was getting kind of frustrating. I don't know if you've been involved in television casting, but you got to jump through a bunch of hoops. And then lots of times they say, okay, well, sorry, we chose somebody else and you've invested that much energy and time and whatever. So, um, when my buddy Tyler White, who, who runs the, the largest, uh, Facebook, um, survival group, Bushcraft and Survival Tribe, he calls me and he goes, Hey, do you want to, you want to do me a huge favor? I need somebody to be on this episode with me. And I know that you're like the perfect person to do this, to fill that role. And if you can be in Utah on Tuesday and it's like Sunday, um, you'll be on the show and we'll start filming on like Wednesday or Thursday. Dang. Yeah. Right. Two days from right Florida now. to Utah. Right now. Packing up. We're going. Yeah. So I was like, man, that's handy. And I don't have to jump through any more hoops and, and you know, I'm not going to get, you know, potentially, um, think that I'm going to be the next, the star for the next week. And then potentially they choose somebody else because of maybe the dynamics of my personality versus the other person, you know, because when they, when they cast a show like that, oftentimes they're, they're trying to form the team or they're kind of looking for something, you know, they're not necessarily yeah. just looking for skill or whatever. Yeah, of course they so, want drama. So yeah, lots yeah. of times. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I was afraid that, well, maybe they're not, maybe they won't choose me for this next week, even though they say that, you know, they thought that they were, this is a sure thing. I'm going to help out Tyler. 
Uh, Matt Graham was the host, and um, he's a friend of mine, and I like his shows. And this had a great concept that we were going to go out there with three tools and build a shelter just from what nature provided. I loved it. I loved the concept. It was supposed to be less drama. I got to wear my clothes, right? I'm not going to starve to death. Uh, everything just sounded great about this opportunity. So I'm, I, I went and took it, and I'm so glad that I did. Met some. I get out there, and some of my best friends are already there, and they're on the episode with me. Oh, nice. Yeah. It blew the Discovery Channel people, the production people's mind when they, we showed up at the hotel. They picked people from all over the country, and we show up, and we're all hugging each other, yep. know each other. Oh, I love you. I haven't seen you forever. It just totally blew their mind that they're like, how this is how tiny this community and how close knit we all are. Yeah. How's the caveman from Georgia know the caveman from, you know, Idaho. Yeah. (laughs) You're like, well, skills gatherings, that's out. Yeah. Right. (laughs) I think that my name had gotten put into the, um, I think that the producer or the cast, some of the casting agents had went to rabbit stick to, and, um, I think that somebody at rabbit stick had given them a list of people that would be good options for the show. Oh yeah. So I got to plug my, you know, my, my, my tribe, my gathering, Dave well, Westcott and Rabbit Stick, I, I kind of owe you this one. Yeah, it's, enter- I mean, you're an entertaining character, man. So I could see you in some way having your own show of just goofy, goofy things that you do with the, the students or just anybody who t- tagged along with you, man. Because I've been out there building stuff and just some of the banter we get into is just, it's off the wall and side splitting. So, well, thank you. Hopefully that'll become a reality one of these days. <laughs> <laughs> no, I really do. Um, every time I, I, I tell the staff, I'm like, yeah, I can't wait to meet Tony. And they're like, okay. And then once they meet you, they're like, dude, you weren't kidding. They're like, that dude is freaking hysterical. Life's short. I like to have fun and enjoy, you know, enjoy every day. You know? Yeah. Well, I also think that there's like, if you think about it, Right. We have somewhat of a, I don't know what to say. I don't want to, I don't, I want I don't want to be un PC. Right. I, but we have kind of a softer society these days. And I think people take, you know, ripping on each other like that, like super personally now. And I like to say to people, you know, look, I'm going to talk trash to you to your face, but behind your back, I'm going to say wonderful things about you because that's what friends do. And I think that's just how it works. And a buddy of mine, he uh, makes films. Uh, and his the films that he makes are uh, documentaries about indigenous and traditional communities around the world. And a lot of the times when we talk, he tells us, yeah, these people just rip on each other all day. Like it's 24-7 nonstop, these tribal folks. Like it's just how they live. And when you think about that, I think certain folks who might be a little bit more sensitive, you know, might not dwell so much in there. But, but I think here's the thing, cause I, I'll just speak from experience. I used to be one of those kids where like, I hated other kids ripping on me, you know, but I think it was cause I was insecure. And if you're able to stand on this foundation of something, something about who you are, it doesn't necessarily have to be like who you are, like a skin color or religion or something like that, but more like a, a, meaningfulness and a presence of who you are, like a skill you possess. So for instance, survival skills, like if anybody needed food, they could be like Tony, right? And then you not saying that power is the thing that you want, but like you do have some helping people abilities. You know, you're an asset now with power to go put food on the table. So I think when people acknowledge that they're ripping on you only out of the fact that like, 
they know you're a badass, you know, like, and they're joshing you to, to, I don't know. It's, do you see what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Like how, I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> well, kind of. Yeah. I've, I've heard a few comments like that here recently and, um, kind of a double edged sword to rip on somebody, you know, we, we got to do it. We don't know what they're going through in their life. And I don't, That's inc- true. I don't encourage yeah, it right. around, you know, if it's not used correctly, it can be harmful to people. Um, but used correctly, uh, it's either fun and, or, uh, it grows people. Um, yeah. So the other, one of the last times I got ripped on my good buddy, Doug Householder, he goes, I knew that he was, I knew he was reading this book, right? I love Doug. Yeah. He's a great guy. And he, so I'm re- I know that he's reading this book, right? Cause he told me about it. Or I saw the cover. I think he was up at my place and he goes, we were at my house doing something, tanning a hide or something like that. And just out of the blue. And then, and then the way that Doug has a way of saying and being that he's very it's, subtle, it's totally just Doug, you know, it's his own, you know, uh, one of a kind personality. So he goes just kind of quietly and subtly and out of the blue, he goes, Tony, he goes, you know what? I said, uh, you know what, Doug? I thought, I don't know. I thought it was something important. <laughs> he goes, you're, you're a, a short, fat, old, bald guy. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay. Oh, um, no. And then immediately I'm like, well, I can, you know, I could answer this a bunch of different ways, but he's just reading this book on ego. And like, I, I've, I kind of understood that what, you know, what that book was, even though I haven't read it, um, you know, how we benefit by, by dropping our, leaving our ego behind and um that's the only way we can really see ourselves outside of our vision like a, like the social mirror type of a model if you've got into any of that stuff in psychology we we have a hard time seeing ourselves from the outside yeah and it's important that we uh, we hear our our friends voices but there's a time when sometimes that stuff is just toxic and that's just spill over damage or something that's happened in their life come in our direction um I'm kind of going around what you're saying, but I'm, I'm planning on coming back to it. So, um, yeah, I, I think that Doug used those words to serve me, to not insult me. So I, I, I take that, that when people say things, if I, if my emotions become involved in it one way or another, I, I automatically say, okay, well, it's probably not meant to, to do the thing that it's doing to me. And it's probably meant sent with love and positive intention. And if I process it through that lens, that it will best serve me, this this knowledge that has just been gifted to me, right? Because we always have those things that we don't like to hear, we don't want to do. If we work through those, lots of times, that's those are growing pains where we can become a better person and a better servant to our loved ones and our community. So, so what did they rip on me about? I, I missed it, apparently. If <laughs> somebody said that. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. No, I I think um, the fact that we do that to each other is like a, I don't know. Personally, I miss it when it's not around. Like I, the staff and I, we do it to each other now. But the fact that when I don't have 10, 12 people around to have fun with this, like, and you know, and honestly, like I used to hate it still, even when I was like, I had this mentor of mine, Dave Scott, and you know, he owns the earth native wilderness school out there. And I remember him ripping on me all the time. And like, I just didn't like it, but it was cause I was so insecure 
You know, it was because I didn't know myself at all. And it wasn't even about him wanting to be mean to me. Like, I think he was trying to bond with me because that's where he came from. You know, he his background was in the military and in the army. And I think that's how guys bonded. And I just wasn't ready for that. And, uh, but it's, it's strange just to hear how enjoyable sky earth and just around the fires. And when we are up at night, you know, just sharing stories and every bit of it, you know, Justin Lunt gets involved. Holy cow. It's going to be over because he's just going to rip on everybody. And we all just laugh about it. I've never seen any feelings get hurt. So I'm just telling you, like, it's such a good feeling to be part of a community where, you know, you can do that to each other. I don't know. Maybe that's all crazy. <laughs> Everyone listening to this is like, what? You don't just talk crap to each other. That's what yeah. your community's about. No, no, no. But I think that that's a, uh, you know, the, the, like a, oh, I'm, I'm having a tar- hard time finding the word that I'm looking for. But so without the relationship that's been built prior to the razzing. Yeah. Yeah. I think that what we really like is the, the, that we bonded with these people to the extent that we can razz them yeah. without, without them being offended. And yeah. they know that we care about them and, and we're not trying to hurt them, but, or we might kind of be trying to steer their behavior in a more positive direction you know well th- i mean to go back to the, like uh roasts right when you get roasted yeah right because all those jokes when you get roasted are they're like the essence of what the collective think of you so all those jokes are going to be applicable to everybody in that audience who knows you because they all know you yeah. so i think it's like a just a entertaining way to smile and go yeah man i'd did I messed up a turkey hunt one time? You know, I did some dumb stuff, and like, and then every time now when you're out hunting, people are gonna be like, "Hey, Tony, don't mess this up for right. us again." You know, so I just we—it's always something that we can go back to as a moment in time of, hey, you know, like we went through this together, and it's okay now. We we've learned. It's almost like a celebration of enlightenment out of ignorance you know, to razz on people in a way, sure. I think so anyway, but I'm, I'm just excited to see what else, uh, you've got going on and what are, where you're going and, uh, what are, do you have any classes coming up? Uh, well, I try to take off through the fall months cause that's my time to try to get away from, you know, I spend so much time teaching survival and primitive skills that I, I hardly get a chance to get out and just have some me time in the woods. So through the fall, I try to get that in and then also take care of my responsibilities back home and whatnot. Um, let's see, what's my next class? I've been hit up to do some various events. Like I could stay busy every week. There's supposed to be one in Illinois, like right after sky earth that I may attend. There's a couple in Kansas that I may go to, but possibly not. I might just kind of settle down and take care of the home life stuff. Um, there's no gatherings in like December and January. Are there? Um, yeah, there's, uh, there's one coming up in Georgia, I believe. Oh, that would be a good location because it's not so cold. I just try like that's, uh, when we're actually already in bow season in Missouri, I try to like, just mark that off. That makes sense. That's me out in the woods time. That's where I'm growing and, uh, refining skills. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. But in uh, the third week in January in Missouri, we, we're going to do a, a bow build class at my place. So uh, looking forward to that. I got some people excited about coming to do that. And then right after that, we're going to um, to Winter Count to teach at the, at the gathering there. And then I just talked with David Holiday, and uh, he would like to do another class with me right after Winter Count. So 
so that's on the calendar now. Sweet. That's going to be in Arizona. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. yeah I look Mex- forward for that. By the Mexican border. Beautiful ranch we have there. 17,000 acres we can play on. Um, yeah, I had a great bunch there last year. It came out. Um, some of the folks from Wazoo, um, Great Bearded Green Beret, Joshua Inyart. He's a great guy. Good oh, friend. yeah. He came out to that class and uh, and several other wonderful people. We, we just had a blast. Um, You're out doing a lot of de- desert sur- survival skills. Yeah, it's high desert survival. Yeah. Uh, and so from directly from there, as soon as I can get back to Missouri from that class, I'm, I got to hop on a plane and I'm going to, um, to Florida to teach at a gathering down there, uh, the last week of March. What's that gathering? Oh gosh. Uh, I hope Jimmy Baldwin's not listening. <laughs> I forgot the name of the gathering. Where is it, Nina? It's in Jacksonville. Jacksonville. Yeah. Well, look out for a gathering in Jacksonville. Is that in January? Uh, that one's in, uh, it'll be around March 26th oh, March. or 7th, somewhere in that neighborhood. Nice. Um, it's a new gathering. He's just getting it going. This will be the second year. Uh, right after that, a buddy of mine that I met who uh, I had trained up in Maine, he has a, he goes down to, he's from like, I think Vermont, but he lives in, he winters in uh, Florida. So we're going to go offshore fishing, have some fun. So that's going to be fun. So he's, he's kind of technically ancient wisdom. You know, nice. he's part of the tribe now that he's been to like three of my classes. So, um, after that, I don't really, I don't really have anything set in stone on my calendar yet. That that's something that I'm going to, I've been so busy running all over the country these last few weeks that this is kind of during my woods time and throughout the fall, that's when I really kind of start trying to hammer down the details of my, uh, my schedule, but we're hoping to do possibly do Alaska in June. Um, and that'll include uh, some river rafting and some fishing, uh, along with some survival skills and, and whatnot. Um, part of what I do is I teach people how to vacation on the cheap and I make it cheap for them. So, but there's survival skills thrown in there. Um, Hawaii on the big Island in July is, uh, not set in stone yet, but we're hoping that to make that happen. You just got to get all the final details worked out. And then, um, Hopefully late July, we're going to do a, an Ozarks, either Missouri or Arkansas float trip. That'll be a week-long float down the river, minimal gear, learn survival skills, wild edibles, navigation, things of that nature. And then immediately after that, um, fly into Maine for a gathering and then a class in Maine. So my year goes by pretty fast. Dude. I'm like I'm literally. Yeah, that was like a whole entire year you just rattled off. Yeah. I'm like, let's go. Oh, it gets even busier after that. I come back from there and I'm, you know, I'm out in Idaho a few weeks later and then back down here. and Yeah, right back to Skyrim, man. It blows by so fast, like just clockwork. I know. I What's, think that's how we're supposed to be living, though. I think our life should fly by us. Oh, really? Having so much fun. To a oh, extent, yeah. I, I guess I see what you're saying because you're just like in that moment and you the perception of time is not what, you know, you everybody, I guess, think it would be. Yeah, that makes sense. People, I always tell the kids, I'm like, you're going to have way more fun when you're playing this game if you just than just sitting here like this. Sure. Time, mom's going to come pick you up a lot faster if you just get involved in this game. They're like, oh, yeah, I guess you're right. <laughs> we need adventure and excitement. Yeah, absolutely. What's your, what's your favorite primitive skill to teach? Friction fire. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's nothing like how people's eyes light up when they get their first friction fire. Yeah. It never gets old. Absolutely love it. How many how many friction fires do you think you've made personally in your life? Oh gosh. <laughs> Ballpark it for me. <laughs> it's I, probably more I, than a hundred thousand, right? I have no idea. I'd hate to say a number because I it may be way off. Yeah. I may I may be way under that. Yeah, I mean, it seems like I've done thousands and gazillions of them, but I don't know. I don't know I, if gazillions a real number. I bet the way you could do it is you could do it through math. You could figure out how long does it take you to make an average coal now, 
and then, you know, go back X amount of years and then just do some civil math. And I bet you'd come out to like probably 10,000 or so. Probably in that neighborhood. And then how many students do you think you've taught over the course of your education too? Gosh, that would be hard to say. I don't know, maybe four or five, six thousand or eight thousand. I don't know. I've met a lot of people. Do you have any um, YouTube videos that you post? A few, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I ran. I was making some uh, YouTube videos, and I ran into some technical difficulties, so I kind of <laughs> shut down that. <laughs> what does uh, that mean? Um, I can't remember. My I had to get a new phone, and I was doing some stuff and linking some things together, and it just got awkward and one convenient at that particular yeah. time. I, I literally stopped doing my YouTube videos a few years ago, right in the middle of a bow build. And my life just got too busy. And then I thought, well, what fruit does this serve my future? I mean, yeah, people were, will see about it, but why should I do these videos if I'm charging people to come to do the class? They can just yeah. watch the videos. So I just kind of put it on the back burner. I'm trying to get back into doing them, but you heard my schedule. Yeah. Uh, so the, I think it's the, the way you do it is just to put those little teasers out there. Like a lot of the you know creators that I see, they're just like scraping on a bow, getting to a growth ring. And like, that's the video. It's like five seconds long. And then it's, you know, them doing a barrel rod, you know, lighting up a Tinder bundle and whatever. So I think it's just that consistent, constant bombardment of content that eventually wears people down. And they're like, dude, I really do want to go make a fire. I'm going to go, you want to go make a fire with me this weekend? Let's go make a fire. Hey, whose birthday is it? It's so-and-so's birthday. Let's get them that for their, and then you get this group of people who show up and they're like, yeah, we just been watching your stuff for a long time. We finally decided to, cause that's what I hear all the time. Cause we're always putting out just a little bloop, 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 bloop all the time. It's just like you, we just saturate the place so that eventually it just wears them down. And I really think that's why people are successful. Maybe you've got a story similar to this, but I just kept offering classes and if one person would show up, nobody would show up. Five people would show up. Nobody would show up again. And I just kept going and eventually started to get five and 10 and it was consistent 12 and it was consistent 20 and it was like holy cow you know it started to really grow and now they're always full as far as like our small two-hour classes that's just like an introduction to fire introduction to knife carving introduction to this I think people get a taste and then they're like okay now I'm hooked because then I get them for the bigger classes on the weekend. So if you've ever thought about doing something like at a local place that gathers up a lot of people, we have these like farmer's market things. You just show up at a farmer's market where there's going to be like, I don't know, a thousand people across a whole Saturday and just sit there and do bow drill friction fires in front of people, put out your nature museum, put out pamphlets about the classes. Dude, a lot of adults are like, what is this? I got to think. They always want to buy my stuff. They're like, can I buy this skunk hat? I'm like, no. <laughs> it's like one. I want you to take the class and learn to make the skunk hat. I'll teach you to tan. So anyway, I'm just throwing out like ideas and things that we do at Natureversity to keep people engaged. That isn't a lot of work. You know, like from my phone, I'm like, boop, 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 you know, but yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see what else you're doing as far as getting to these gatherings. And I'm only allowed to go to a few each year. I cannot make the Rexburg, Idaho one and statute of limitations or what? <laughs> just can't, can't make it. I, the school season starts right when rabbit stick starts. So that first week of rabbit stick or, or my school is the exact same week. So, see, yeah. but <clears throat> eventually I'm going to take some time off and go, it's work too much, man. I'm like you. You know, so you, you, uh, you brought back an old memory when you're talking about going to the farmer's markets. <laughs> I, um, I just want to tell this little quick go little for story. It. It's going to be great. I know it. <laughs> well, I don't know. It's not, I mean, to me it was just really interesting. I don't know how funny you guys will find it, but uh, it blew my mind. 
So I, I'm living in the modern world, one foot in the modern world, one one foot in the Stone Age, you know. Um, driving my cars, but hauling my stone tip arrows in it and whatever. <laughs> so um, my, I, a bunch of, Am, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, they're not Amish. They they resemble Amish, but I believe they're old world uh, Mennonites. But they, you okay. know, they horse and buggy, sure. you know, do all that stuff. Well, I, I became friends with them, several of them that are in my area because, you know, I picked their brains. How do you guys... How do you you know do food preservation? How are you doing this and that? Yeah, uh, it's survival, man. Yeah, right. It's, it really is. And, yeah. And if we went into an apocalyptic whatever scenario, we're not going back to the Stone Age. No. You know, there's people saying that that's not happening. It right. Just, no way. We hit the Iron Age, and we're not going behind it. So really, people are going to be living more like the uh, Mennonites, potentially like the Mennonites, like the Amish. So, uh, and they admire and appreciate what I do. So they, they invited me over to show them some stuff. And oh, that's uh, awesome, dude. Yeah. And I was like, Hey, yeah, I'm gonna pick your brain and dude, um, that's amazing. So I go over there and of course, you know, they have these families that are like, I don't know, 10 or 12 or whatever. Mm-hmm. Of course they're all dressed the same and they got the same haircuts and you don't know. It's like, <laughs> how does, is this one family or is this two families or what's going on? How do they have so many kids? They all look alike. And so that's just. I can't remember anybody's names. They all have weird names and, and they all sound alike. And I'm, I'm trying to do my best to be personable with each one of them and whatnot. And so they want to see, um, he's asking me some questions. You know, I'm talking about some of the basics and survival cutting edges. And, you know, I see that he has a steel knife on him. Okay. Well, that's 1860s technology or whatever. So I'm scratching my head. How do you guys do fires? So I'm thinking, Oh, you must do flint and steel or, a magnifying lens or, you know, some 1860 <laughs> fire, 1850 fire. Fire piston. He, right. Yeah. He looks at me all serious, reaches in his pocket and pulls out a big light. Nice. Lighter I knew it. it. I'm like, and then he kind of chuckles and giggles at me, right? Like, yeah. and that's how these guys, their humor is a little bit different than, yeah. you know, a lot of modern society. But anyway, great people. Um, so anyway, I'm like, okay, well, let's do, uh, I'm going to show you how to do a Bodrill fire. You know, they, they had heard of it, but they'd never seen it. So, so I get down, and I start doing this Bodrill fire and I don't know what my deal was that day. I don't know if I didn't eat my Snickers bar or I was just having, I, I wasn't my, um, my hundred percent that day, let's say. And it was mainly in my confidence and stuff like that. But I'm doing this Bodrill fire and I get an ember and I, I drop half the ember off of my, uh, ember catch. The wind blew, or st- you know, piece of grass or whatever. And I'm normally the guy that says, oh, no, we never give up. We're going to, you know, breathe life into that ember to the last breath, you know. But this day, I'm like, I don't know. I'm just having a bad day. And I'm like, oh, well, dang it, we lost it. And having been, you know, a reflection of the the type of class groups that I'd had, you know, a lot of those people that had been coming were more of that mentality. Oh, well, it's not easy. Let's move on. Uh, But these Amish guys... I, I stood up and turned around for a second and I turned back and a little Amish army of little straw hats and bare feet had ran around and made a, they'd made another tender bundle like immediately. Wow. And the dad had grabbed the knife and they were bound and determined that they weren't going to let this thing fail. And they took that ember and put it into the, the nest on their own and blew it to flames. And it just totally blew my mind that every one of those kids from I'm talking like maybe the youngest one was four or five years old up to, you know, maybe 12 or 14 years old. And it seemed like there was 27 of them. I think it was, they were all this one man's come to find out. No, there wasn't that many. It was probably eight. <laughs> <laughs> 27. 
No, every one of them is like these kids, um, boy, girl, guy. they were just so like, so adult like and responsible and determined and impressive that I was like, I, I need to be more like these people, you know? It just blew my mind. Anyway, I just wanted to touch on that Dude, story. Dude, that was a good story, man. Yeah, the, I think what that is is a reflection of their culture in that maybe it's like a life preservation thing. Maybe they know fire is life. You know, maybe they honor all forms of life no matter what it is. and Or maybe they were just so enthralled that you just worked so hard and your the, the fruits of your labor are discarded. Maybe they, it's the work ethic. Like, yeah, I'm... I'm curious about what that was too but well the, they're um, not getting those dopamine hits you know right hey i could just hit with the I could just change the channel right yeah if, if this thing ain't giving my dopamine dopamine hit like i like you know that modern society has kind of dealt with the five minute attention span people These yeah folks don't have that so that's exactly what uh happened with my dad the first time i showed him bow drill i had taken that less stroud book and uh i think it's just called like survive or alive or something like that and <clears throat> I worked through it and figured it all out and finally figured out the notch. I was like, what the hell is this thing? This notch? Like, what is this? I didn't, it was like, didn't have YouTube or anything like that back then. And finally I figured it out and I was like, check this out. And I like run inside and I get my dad and I'm like, check this out. <laughs> and he's like standing there watching me and I'm just doing this bow drill and I like blow it into flame. And he's like, that's pretty cool. He's like, I can do that too. <laughs> and he reached into his pocket and pulls out this lighter and just sparks it. You're like, wow, this only took me 20 minutes. Yeah, I was like, thanks. But he's right. You know, like I said, it's it's uh, same with the Amish. You know, it's like, why waste energy? I don't know, you know. Well, there's a there's a certain point, and this, this is kind of new to me this week, that it's kind of been a recent theme around some of my students. You know, where does nostalgia, uh, where does it fit into this? You know, what is our ultimate goal? If our ultimate, Oh, yeah, that's a good know, question. We got to find that place where we find balance between you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to ride my horse out to Colorado and try to elk hunt with stone tip. I, I'll drive the truck out there, you know, but it's what fits our uh, uh, situation. Saying, yeah. And we got to be honest with ourselves about that. Like, are we really, do we really need to be the best hide tanner or arrowhead chipper or whatever? Is that really filling all of our needs for our future? So we just got to find that balance individually, I think. That's a good question. You know, that makes me think about <clears throat> like Sky Earth itself and these gatherings themselves and like even things like Burning Man and all that that go on these great big gatherings where people collectively get together. Is that what they're after? Or they, is it nostalgia for community? You know, the disconnect with the phones and society and all that stuff. Are, are we meeting out here in, you know, is, is that what the need is being met? That that communal living? Because I'm, I'm with the same, I'm in the same boat as you with that question, which is at what point do we go, okay, why am I making all these bone tools? Are they for the, am I going to actually use them or am I making them to put them on the shelf or on a table so that people walk by and go, Ooh, you know, like what am I making these for? And I, I think that's what, am I, am I correct in saying that that's what the point you mean with the nostalgia of the practicality or? Yeah, to a certain extent. Um, I, th I think that you're getting it, what I'm trying to lay down here. <laughs> um, so, like, so now my mind's racing on two different oh, no. channels. Like, do we go this <laughs> I way? I messed that? you up. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I've got a couple of, um, so to touch on that, I just told this story the other day. How much time do we have? Oh, you've got plenty of time. Man. Okay, so uh, one of the first guys, when I, you know, I was trying to do all the survival stuff, running around with homemade bow, you know, homemade loincloth when I was five years old, growing up, when I hit my 20s, I was like, man, I got to, 
make a living and I wanted to be rich. And you know, the schools told me I was pretty smart because I got good grades and this and that. And I was like, well, I'll take one of these really high dollar careers, uh, not knowing what was really truly meaningful in life. Um, so throughout that phase of my life, I was still passionate about primitive skills. And I heard about this man from Texas, killing Texas named, um, Bill Metcalf. And he was one of the handful of people in the country that could teach you all the primitive skills, you know, back in the days when nobody knew it and the internet wasn't, was just getting up and going. So I met him and he shows up. I was working at a car dealership where they told me I could make a bunch of money. Um, and he comes in, <laughs> he comes in in buckskins, uh, nice. fringes. He probably smells a little bit. His truck's about, you know, half, half beat up. And he comes in and, uh, I had to contact him about getting a bow. He'd been making a bunch of bows for Hollywood productions for movies and whatnot. And he was the guy, you know, I could get one for cheap from him because he could make them in like an hour and a half or something like that. Something ridiculous. Um, so he shows up and I get this bow and I'm talking to him and I'm like enamored with this guy. Everybody, all those guys with their, you know, clean shaved guys with their colored shirts and their dockers and, you know, trying to look professional. They were like all making fun of this guy. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's like Elvis is here. Yeah. You know? I'm the opposite. This is totally cool to me. He's like, oh yeah, I'm heading up to Canada to, to kill a bear with a with an obsidian point. I did it last year with my homemade bone obsidian point. He told me about how quick and painless the bear's passing was and, wow. and how respectful the hunt was. And it's not like a, a caveman brutal type of a scenario like a lot of people picture primitive hunting to be. It's like, oh wow, this, this is fascinating. I can hang out with this guy forever. And then he goes on to tell me about this other guy who wanted to buy a bow from him. And and then the guy said, how much is it? He goes, okay, well, I can make you a bow for $150. The guy said, okay, but I want it, you know, all stone tool. I want you to make it all all natural. And Bill said, okay, um, <laughs> how about I... How about 500 uh, Well, how, yeah, how about I, how about I use some, nat- some tools and then at the end I give it an appearance, the last phases I do the stone tools the guys goes oh no I want it all all primitive all Oof. natural so Bill goes okay that's gonna be it's gonna take three years and you'll have to give me six thousand dollars and you'll need to pay me up front yep guy said whoa whoa what are you trying to what are you trying to pull on me that's ridiculous he said no no you want it all natural he goes I'll have to I'll have to saddle up a horse or actually I'll have to ride bareback and I'm gonna have to ride from Texas to Oklahoma or wherever to get and I'll have to make a stone axe to cut down this tree and haul it back and then it's going to have to season for six months or a year you got to ride to Virginia to get a metabasalt greenstone first yeah right the guys are right the guys are oh wait no you don't know you're being ridiculous you know, not, no, not all that, but just part oh way. Oh, my God. So Bill was like, well, exactly where does that line, right. where is that? So that kind of ties in with what I was saying earlier about yeah, the Yeah, that makes a it's lot like, of sense. What's what's really practical and what are we really trying to do here, yeah. you know? Um, so that kind of changed my thinking about things. And I, you know, I still, like when I go hunting, I, I make some arrow shafts out of saplings and whatnot. But a lot of my arrow shafts are just store-bought arrow shafts. So I'm not 100% primitive on a lot of my hunts. I can. I can do all those things, but... It's not practical in my life to, you know, to spend that energy and time in those places. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think for the most common person out there, they're also just looking for a bridge to connect them to an experience, right? And that's what you're out there doing. You're saying, hey, I can uh, take you on this hunt, right? But you don't need to be wearing buckskin loincloth and, and all that. Like, But there's extra credit points if they do work. <laughs> Only when you're with Tony. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> but it's uh it's it's an opportunity for people to do something that they're just never going to get to do hardly anywhere else. You know, it's not like you're going to learn this in public school. You know, they're going to have to get, take, take you out with a wooden bow or a, even a rifle for that matter. The most modern thing to hunt with. They're not going to take you out and do that. And if they are, then man, my hat's off to you because you're an awesome school and please continue to teach children how to take care of themselves. But you know, for now, if you're looking for an opportunity and you want to reconnect in the, one of the deepest ways, I would say that the only way, the only other school next to ancient wisdom that would be more would be that, uh, gosh, it's in Wisconsin. What is it called? It's called the wilderness guide program where they literally just toss you out in the woods for 11 months. Uh, teaching drum, teaching drum. That's what it is called teaching drum. But that's the only other thing that I could think of that's would be beyond what Tony's doing. But Tony's getting you out there and he's giving you three, four days of just full saturation and opportunity to go along. But again, like he said, the pragmatic point of we got to get there. What are we here to do? And it's going to be fun and exciting. So y'all look forward to some of these classes he's offering. Tony, thanks so much for being on. You've been a wonderful guest. We're going to do this again. I hope you know yeah, a lot. Forward to it. <laughs> I'm sure people me. are going to request bring Tony back on. Um, you got to hear, because I have honestly a thousand questions. Like I want to ask you about like what's been some of the craziest things that have happened in your classes and all kinds of other questions. So, uh, but we got to get back to sky earth, everybody. Thanks for tuning in, Tony. Thanks for having me. I appreciate God, it. Thank you for listening. God yeah. bless y'all. Y'all take care. Bye-bye.